You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, we're off and running on this Monday, May 4th. Good morning. Welcome in. How's everybody doing? How's everybody feeling? Hopefully things go on the technical side a little uh, smoother than they did on Friday. Of course, this is the Gordon Damer Show. This is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Plenty to keep us busy over this next hour. We take you up, of course, until 6 a.m., so 60 minutes to run through it all. Hopefully you had a, a fantastic weekend. Maybe because it was a fantastic weekend, right? Weather-wise, we finally got a little jolt of optimism, right? The, the weather outside made you feel better about the world outside, even though the world outside is still not uh, ideal, right? We got the kids outside for a little while. Maybe you were tossing the football, tossing the Frisbee. My daughter had the chalk out on the driveway. I was busy doing that, feeling the effects of kneeling in the driveway uh, for <laughs> hour after hour. Those little things. So hopefully the weekend could all put us in a, a better frame of mind just in time for the last dance to remind us what it's like being a Nick fan. Yippee! But lots to do over this next 60 minutes. Of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. I am on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question just about ready to roll for today. So we'll get to that in a bit. Have to kind of recap the rewatchable movie bracket, the result from Friday. And uh, the question that we had on Friday was, what was going to happen with the Dark Knight fans? Almost like a uh, political situation, like in a primary, where you have people who th- th- they have their candidate and they're pulling for their candidate. But when their candidate is out, do they galvanize behind another candidate or do they just kind of drop off by the wayside? So we'll recap the uh, matchup from Friday. We'll get you today's matchup as we move closer to crowning a champion. But speaking of champions, I guess where we have to start with is the uh, two episodes last night in The Last Dance, episodes five and six. And I think it's pretty clear that at this point, 10 episodes is not going to be enough. I said when with the first two episodes that The Last Dance is incredibly binge-worthy, right? Like you get done one episode, you're ready to roll for the next episode. The problem with that is is that the 10 episodes are going to fly by pretty quickly, and then we're going to be looking for what's the next thing. But I saw episode 5 this morning. I have not seen 6 as of yet. And coming in, the advance word was this weekend, you know, is going to touch on the uh, Knicks and Bulls rivalry. So when I started episode 5, I was, you know, I'm thinking to myself, all right, how quickly is it going to get to uh, to the Knicks? And uh, <laughs> the, the, the scenes that I'm not going to want to watch over and over and over again. But And the first scene of episode 5 is a shot of Madison Square Garden from the outside. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. But it was actually not about the Knicks and Bulls rivalry. I guess that's episode six. But episode five starts with the 1998 All-Star Game, Jordan's final All-Star Game, uh, playing against Kobe. And I got to say, episode five was a bit of a hodgepodge of topics, right? Like it didn't really focus on one individual topic. Like I think it was episode three kind of focused it focused on the Bulls, but it was primarily um, uh, the story of Dennis Robin and how he got to Chicago and he, his personality and his career and all that. This was much more of, of a mix of topics. It started with uh, with the Kobe and Jordan's relationship with Kobe and even at that young age when he was like, I guess, a year and a half into his career, the, the talk in the locker room, at least the, the sections that you got, were about – 
Kobe Bryant and how you're going to slow them down, how he was going to slow him down and how Kobe doesn't pass the ball. <laughs> and George said he wouldn't, he wouldn't pass Kobe the ball. So, uh, that was part of it. The, business relationship of Nike that was a big part of the episode the dream team was a big uh, part of the uh, the the episode as well as um, Jordan not using his star power kind of ends with not using his star power in political causes and look the episode I'm not saying it wasn't fascinating it still was and I'd be honest I probably could watch an hour on any one of those four topics and still feel like I was getting my entertainment my entertainment worth but if there was one area i kind of wish that they stayed with longer it would probably be the nike stuff because the air jordans were just such a a a huge part of the jordan story and i didn't realize or maybe i just didn't remember that nike the reason why they were called air jordans was because nike had this new technology at the time that created air souls, and they kind of touched on this in the episode. But I, I, I'll be honest with you, I found that part of it fascinating, and the and the I could have used a little bit more background on that, and the fact that Converse was the sneaker at the time. I do kind of remember that. that I remember that commercial that they showed with Magic and Bernard King and, and and Larry Bird, and that Nike was primarily running shoes at the time. So that whole story about how. Jordan kind of wanted to go with Adidas and Converse had issues at the time. Everything, all these different type of things. I thought that that was absolutely uh, fascinating. And I, I would have, you know, if they did a full episode just on that, I probably would have been sitting there enjoying every bit of, uh, of it. The Dream Team footage was uh, obviously, you knew that that was going to be part of it at some point. The All-Star footage too, I thought it was i found myself watching that and because i knew the story of that and they kind of touched on tony kukoc and all the, those parts of it but i kind of found myself watching the old footage and the all-star footage too of just thinking about all the the great all-time players that jordan kept from winning rings <laughs> that was kind of the the focus for me on the sidelines just kind of watching the episode be it barkley be it ewing be it uh, clyde drexler they kind of focused on the 92 finals in the first episode. And then the last bit of the hour, I guess it was maybe the last 15, 20 minutes or so, was kind of focused on Jordan staying on the sidelines in terms of political causes and stuff like that, never really got involved in any political causes. And they touched on this North Carolina, I guess it was a North Carolina Senate race, uh, and his quote, which has been brought up countless times over the years since about Jordan didn't get involved in political causes because Republicans buy sneakers, too. And he says in the thing, and I think that this is probably uh, completely true, that the statement itself was overblown because it was I mean, it was something that he said off the cuff. It wasn't like I mean, people make it out like he intended for this for public consumption. It was not something that he said in an interview or questioned out in public. It's just that you know that line and you associate it with Michael Jordan and it makes sense. But, you know, the, the comparison in the episode was made that, that to, to, between Jordan and Muhammad Ali. And I gotta be honest, I don't remember who it was that was saying it, but was saying something along the lines, well, you know, Muhammad Ali was remembered because what he did what was important to him and that was political causes and that Jordan was being selfish. And Jordan even brings up that, yeah, he probably was selfish because he he looked at himself as being strictly a basketball player. 
and he didn't want to be involved in something that, you know, that was not really that important to him. And it's funny because people will criticize Jordan for not being involved in things like that when it was not imp- it was pretty clearly not all that important to him. And the takeaway is is that people who say that are actually also being selfish. If you want someone to be involved in something that's not important to them but because it's important to you, that's the definition of being selfish. So uh, a, I would say, I think Michael Jordan being remembered, I, I don't know, the 10-part documentary, I would say, means that he's being remembered just fine. And secondly, it wasn't him. Like, people saying, well, you know, he said he did not think of it in terms of causes and that he was selfish. But part of me also wonder, like, I would have liked a little bit more background on that as well because, you know, the the, the guy who was running against Jesse Helms was this guy Harvey Gantt. And they never really touched on what the dynamic of the race was. Did Harvey Gantt have a real chance to win that race? Because the the thing that is focused, I probably has been touched on in every single episode so far, at least through half of the documentary, is Jordan's desperate need to not just win, but to destroy people. And they never really touched on whether or not Gantt had the chance to win. What the polling was like, did he did he actually have a real chance to win that Senate race? I don't know. I don't remember that Senate race at the time. But I would have liked a little bit more background on that because maybe Gantt was just this long shot of a candidate who didn't really have a chance to win. But I thought that that would have been a little bit uh, – that would have been interesting to know because Jordan – even if he did want, and he didn't want to, but even if he did want to get involved in a political race, I wonder if his personality and his desperate need to win at every single thing that he was associated with, golf, cards, just regular gambling, basketball, any business, anything, I wonder if he would have uh, associated his name with a candidate like Harvey Gantt and whether or not he had an actual uh, chance to win or not. Now, episode six apparently is the one that deals with the Knicks and Bulls rivalry. I have not watched that one yet. I have that to look forward to today. Yippee! Uh, I don't really need. I mean, look, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be. I'm fascinated to watch it, but I don't really need to see it, right? Like if you lived it, you remember it. <laughs> it's burned into your soul. And I had to laugh when I saw a report like the Advance beforehand was that well, you know, this weekend is the one that's going to tur- touch on the Knicks and Bulls. Uh, that that's going to be addressed, and boy, that's going to be tough for Nick fans. Yeah, duh. We like everybody knows it was going to be addressed at some point, and everybody knows it's going to be painful for Nick fans. Like, no kidding, really. And Mike Vaccaro of the Post had an article, I think it was yesterday, saying about you know, well, Nick fans will be left wondering if only Charles Smith had dunked. Mike, Nick fans have been wondering that since 1993. Like, from the moment it happened, Nick fans, there's been part of Nick fans that have constantly, at some point, when they think back to those days, wondered if only Charles Smith had um, had dunked the basketball. Even more so, probably, than if Charles Smith had been fouled, because I think most Nick fans had have at one point thought, well, if he had been fouled, if he had gotten you know the foul call there, he probably wouldn't hit the two free throws anyway. So Nick fans have been wondering that since 1993. Now I see that Charles Oakley has used this opportunity, and I'm not sure, is it the back page of the Post today? I think it is, that he continues to use this platform to rip Patrick Ewing among the uh, quotes in the article that the Post has. 
uh, quote, and maybe this is from the documentary. I have not seen episode six, as I said. But Oakley says, my thing with Jordan is it's not like you beat us by 20. Most games went down to two, three possessions. Y'all made the shots. We didn't. The best player won. Michael was the better player than Patrick hands down. Well, if that's the point that Charles is trying to make, well, again, duh. Yeah, everybody knows that. But it seems like that Charles continues to use this opportunity to talk about how Patrick didn't do enough. And look, at the end of the day, Patrick was the, the Knicks superstar player, and if the NBA is a league where stars win, and if you don't win, you're going to get primarily the blame. But, the I mean, to me, and maybe it's because I'm a Knicks fan, and maybe you disagree, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. I think I felt this way at the time. I certainly feel this way now. At the end of the day, the Bulls not only had Jordan, who was better, but they also had Pippen, who was better. The Knicks had Patrick and didn't have a whole lot else. Now, they had some player. I mean, Charles was a good player. You know, Starks had his moments. Mason had his moments. You know, the Knicks had some players. It's not like they didn't have anybody. They won 60 games. They won a bunch of games. They won, you know, they were in the playoffs every single year. But the, the you know, if you're doing a documentary about the Knicks and the Patrick Ewing years, I think one episode probably more than one episode, would focus on how Knicks management, how the the Knicks brass was never able to find that secondary superstar to Patrick Ewing that was enough to lift them to a championship even in the two years that Michael Jordan left the sport. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So coming up, uh, we, you certainly can get in on the uh, Knicks and uh, the Bulls stuff. If you saw episode six last night, I, I'm guessing if you're up at this time and you're up and you're running and you're, you know, you're getting ready to, for work or whatever you're doing, chances are you did not. But if you did, certainly 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. And already today, I almost had a major issue, major issue with the, uh, the poll question. I actually put up the wrong movie. That could be a problem. That could be a problem, but I'm fixing it right now as we speak, and uh, the appropriate movie will be up for today. I actually put Die Hard in there, and it was not, it's not a Die Hard day. Die Hard is already into uh, the uh, the final, and um, it is the rewatchable movie bracket. It is uh, The poll question for today is now up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. But uh, some things that I wanted to touch on before we uh, we get to that. And certainly want to hear from you as well, 1-800-919-3776. But you saw over the weekend, Andy Dalton signed with the Cowboys. The Bears declined the fifth-year option on Mitch Trubisky. And there was this uh, stat from Albert Breer of SI that I thought was fascinating. Let's start with Dalton, because the move itself I didn't think was all that uh, interesting. I, the, the, the interesting part of it was, now that Dalton had been released... Would the Patriots have any real interest in signing it? The, the Patriots quarterback situation seems very much up in the air. You, you see all these reports that they, they really, they like Jared Stidham and they're going to go with Jared Stidham, but it still seems a little hard to believe considering that Andy Dalton at the age of 32, I'm a, I'm a believer that Andy Dalton is a bit underrated. So if it, at this stage, I would think Andy Dalton is a better NFL quarterback than Jared Stidham. Now, maybe they, the Patriots clearly think that Stidham is the better long-term solution. But in this moment right now, I think that they would be better served 
going with Andy Dalton. But Andy Dalton and the Patriots didn't uh, – the Patriots obviously didn't have a whole lot of interest because Dalton got a, basically a one-year deal for $3 million to serve as the backup for the Cowboys. So that deal is done, and, and it's not really that all that interesting. What I did think was interesting was this idea, which I guess was primarily floated out there by uh, pro football talk, that this now puts pressure on Dak to work out a deal with the Cowboys and that maybe the Cowboys will rescind their franchise tag on Dak and go with Andy. What? What are you talking about? That makes no sense whatsoever. The Cowboys are smack dab in the middle of win-now mode. They are a team going into assuming everything you know transpires as it's supposed to, that they are going into the season not just looking to make the playoffs or a deep playoff run. They're a team, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but they are a team that views themselves and should view themselves as a Super Bowl contender. Now, as I said, I, I'm someone who thinks that Andy Dalton is a bit underrated. But that does not mean that he's Dak Prescott. Now, could the Cowboys win games with Andy Dalton? Sure, they could. And in terms of uh, going to a place where if there were ever an injury to the starter, I'm sure Andy Dalton would probably excel in that offense. But does that give the Cowboys the best chance? I mean, who? I mean, why would you ever think that? Of course not. I don't think it puts any more pressure on anybody uh, in terms of Dak Prescott signing his friend or franchise tag being rescinded. I think he's the backup quarterback. And with, you know, we, we brought this up before when we were talking about the Eagles last week. The most important guy on any football team is the starting quarterback. And maybe a lot of times the, the second most important person is the backup quarterback. So if the Cowboys were to go into a year and Dak Prescott were to suffer some kind of injury, I think Andy Dalton could absolutely, that's what you want from your backup quarterback, a guy who can come in and be able to win some games. And there was actually a report that the, the Jets had some interest in Andy Dalton. And for three million bucks, that might not be, that might have been a bad way to go. Certainly, whoever the Jets are going to have as their backup are, is not going to be as good as Andy Dalton would be right now. And again, that's not to say that Andy Dalton would, would uh, threaten Sam Darnold in any way, but if Darnold would, had another injury this year, had something happen where he was going to miss games, that would be a far better option than anything else that the Jets could go with. And for minimal money. Now, he might not have taken $3 million to sign with the Jets as he did with the Cowboys, but still, uh, that would not have been a bad way for the Jets to go, but they decided not to uh, to go that way. Uh, the second story was that the Bears declined their fifth-year option on Mitch Trubisky. And uh, obviously, you're going to get all the stories about how they passed up on, on Patrick Mahomes, they passed up on Deshaun Watson, and they, they traded up a slot, giving up draft capital so that they could get Mitch Trubisky, and obviously that was the wrong decision. Clearly, that was the wrong call. Out of all the calls they could have made, that one was bad. But you know what? I will say this in uh, in defense of the Bears. When it goes bad, this is about as well as it could go bad. And what I mean by that is it's clear it's wrong, right? It's clear that Mitch Trubisky is not the guy. But at least the Bears are not going to delude themselves into thinking and excusing away the issues that Mitch Trubisky has. Like going into last year, they were trying to pump him up. They were trying to make it out like Mitch Trubisky was going to take this next step forward. And it's clear it's wrong. 
So the best thing to do is to part ways sooner rather than later. They seem ready to do that with making the trade for Nick Foles. It's clear it's wrong. So a lot of times teams, because of the draft slot, because Mitch Trubisky was the second pick in the draft, a lot of teams probably would try to convince themselves, delude themselves, into thinking, no, this guy's the guy. We just need to give him more time. We just got to do this or do that. We just have to surround him with more talent. The Bears seem pretty clearly ready to uh, to move on. And uh, that's uh, <laughs> pretty clearly the right call. Now, the one stat, the one uh, fact that I saw this weekend that I that relates to uh, Cam Newton. Cam Newton is still the guy who's looking for a job. And Albert Breer has a, an article up on SI.com talking about him trying to find a place to play and why it might be a little difficult. And this is the, the fact that he gives. All the teams that have first-round quarterbacks, there are only a few teams that don't have first-round quarterbacks on their roster. There are eight of them. The eight teams that do not have a number one pick as a quarterback on their roster are the Patriots, Jaguars, Broncos, Cowboys, Vikings, Bucks, Seahawks, and Niners. Okay, that seems like a lot of teams, right? You have eight teams. That's not that that that's not a, a small number. Five of them, though, of those eight, have quarterbacks making more than twenty-five million dollars a year. So when you take those five out of the eight, you're left with three teams that do not either have a number one pick as their as their guy or a quarterback who wasn't a number one pick, but is making big time money. So that leaves New England, Denver, and Jacksonville, who plan on starting non-first rounders on rookie quarterbacks. So that really tells you that for Cam Newton, there are not a lot of landing spots, even for a guy who is a former MVP and who's not old. He's just 30 years old. But the problem is, is there's not that many landing spots and... He doesn't have the ability to take a physical right now and show that he's healthy and that uh, the various injuries that he's had. I know he's had a foot injury. He's had something with his shoulder. That's not going to help. So him trying to find a place to play, uh, that is not going to be easy to do, especially given the environment uh, that we're living in right now. I will say this. I think that one of them, whatever it is, is going to be chosen, and we are going to see baseball in some form or variety this year. Now, does that mean that baseball is going to stick around and play a full season? I, You know, it could happen. Uh, does that mean that baseball could come back and then we could have another wave that... Uh, shuts things down, that's certainly a possibility as well. The, the problem with projecting all of these things out is that we don't know what's going to happen next week. All right, there's Jeff Passan, ESPN Radio, talking about how uh, it certainly seems like the details need to be worked out. There's still a lot of important steps that need to take place before you can say 100% for sure that we will have baseball this year. But, I mean, look, you can't have a better baseball insider than Jeff Passan. And his feeling, talking to people around the game, is that at some point there will be baseball this year. I think that's kind of the way that most people feel right now and that you can't get too nitpicky on the details. Whatever way it's going to transpire, as long as there is baseball, I think we'll all be happy. So that's your moment of inspiration. And I saw that uh, Pro Football Talk had a a story up as well this weekend that uh, 
there's an extremely small chance that there's no NFL season in 2020. So look, we're taking we're we're taking the grands the grains of positive news anywhere we find them these days. So the fact that there's a, an extremely small chance there'll be I didn't even assume there would be no NFL season in 2020. So the fact that you were even bringing it up is a little bit of a whoa, wait a second, but that that's good news too. So anything we can do, any ways that we can take these little small steps forward back to having things feel a little bit more normal, uh, we will certainly take them. And uh, speaking of things getting back to normal, I need to bring up the rewatchable movie bracket. We're moving on, getting closer to crowning our champion. A new one is up for today. We'll get to it in just a second. But I did want to kind of recap the uh, matchup from Friday, because Friday, you'll remember, was all the fallout after the uh, controversial, but I think you'd have to say correct decision was made by the tournament committee, meaning me, to uh, replay the matchup so that it was on an even playing field between Die Hard and Back to the Future. And Die Hard obviously wins. It's the better movie than Back to the Future. So Die Hard is into the final after all the the, uh, big um, hullabaloo over Die Hard and Dark Knight. So Die Hard is into the final. But I said that it was going to be interesting to see what happened to all the Dark Knight fans. Did they galvanize behind Back to the Future or did they just kind of fall by the wayside? Well, the the vote total did drop off some. So either the Dark Knight fans did kind of just fall by the wayside because their movie is out and they, you know, they they're they're little crybabies. They did not galvanize behind Back to the Future, or maybe it's just that, you know, the candidate itself is not that strong and, and the, the 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 force behind it and the fans of the Dark Knight just, you know, they're not that organized. Because they were not able to overcome Die Hard, who is now into the final. But we have a new matchup today. It is up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. And it is on the other side of the bracket. You can bring, that's it, Brian. Bring up the music. There you go. And we will start with the number one seed, who is, look, I mean, you talk about dominating tournament performances, be it uh, the UNLV team, be it the Duke team that you like, the UCLA teams from back in the day. It would be hard to find any squad that is putting together a more dominating performance than we have seen in the rewatchable movie bracket by the number one overall seed, Goodfellas. We always called each other Goodfellas. Like you say to somebody, you're going to like this guy. He's all right. He's a good fella. He's one of us. Understand? We were Goodfellas, wise guys. Jimmy and I could never be made because we had Irish blood. It didn't even matter that my mother was Sicilian. To become a member of a crew, you've got to be 100% Italian so they can trace all your relatives back to the old country. There you go. All right, so the number one seed is Goodfellas. Interesting, because the uh, the matchup is Goodfellas against the number two seed in the comedy region, my cousin Vin. Lisa, I don't need this. I swear to God, I do not need this right now, okay? I got a judge that's just aching to throw me in jail. An idiot who wants to fight me for $200. Slaughtered pigs. Giant loud whistles. I ain't slept in five days. I got no money. A dress code problem. And a little murder case, which in the balance holds the lives of two innocent kids. Not to mention your biological clock, my career, your life, our marriage, and let me see, what else can we pile on? 
All right, so it's Joe Pesci versus Joe Pesci. A lot of times I watch The Last Dance and I kind of, in my own mind, put together a list of who was the biggest loser of the episodes <laughs> that aired this weekend. Uh, so I think it's pretty clear you could say that the uh, biggest – I think uh, Clyde Drexler was the one that I would probably say from this week. At least the, I've only seen episode five. But Clyde Drexler, the fact that Jordan goes out of his way to point out that there's no comparison between me and Clyde Dre- that felt like it was very personal. But in terms of the winner, well, it's pretty clear whoever wins this one, it's going to be a big win for Joe Pesci. But there is the uh, the, the matchup for today. The rewatchable movie bracket. You can vote on Twitter at Gordon Damer, Goodfellas, the number one seed from the drama region against the number two seed, My Cousin Vinny. Polling is open now. It'll be up throughout the day, and we'll see uh, who is moving on. I think I have a pretty good idea, but you never know. Upsets happen, right? Maybe maybe the Dark Knight people are now going to try to galvanize in a way to just ruin. I mean, they like ruining things, and they're very unhappy. So maybe they will try to ruin it by voting for a movie that uh, doesn't belong. And I think... I, I think it's pretty clear which one really belongs of these two. Both fine films, both eminently rewatchable. But I think that there is a – sometimes there's not a right answer. Goodfellas Godfather, I said, I didn't think there was really a right answer there. You could go either way. But this time I think that there is a, a right answer. But I don't want to – you know me. I don't want to shield the, the vote. I don't want to put the voting in any direction. I like to be impartial. I like to be on the sidelines. I don't like to put my hand – I like to put it out there for you. And then let you decide. That's the way I am. Other people are other ways, but that's me. 1-800-919-ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. All right, let's go to the phones this morning. Let's get some phone calls involved. And I don't know if he's still uh, still a little sour after everything that happened with his dark night, which uh, obviously is now on the sidelines. But it is Lewis and Whippany. Lewis, what's going on, my man? <laughs> I didn't know you were going to come to me, man. <laughs> how'd, I, how'd you know, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, uh, listen, whatever, man. You know, uh, I, I, I voted for Die Hard, just to throw it out there, against Back to the Future. Because um, okay. I'd rather watch that movie than uh, Back to the Future over and over again. So, um, But listen, real quick for Goodfellas, before I get to my actual point, uh, Michael Francis, uh, an actual gangster, he was actually at the movie premiere. And, and, you know, in the opening scene when he's, like, describing – well, not the opening scene, when he's, like, describing – what they're doing at the bar and how their like daily life is. Yeah. He says that once he heard his name, his wife looked at him and he was like, okay, it's time for us to leave. Cause he was still, you know, a big time gangster at the time when the movie premiered. So he was, and his wife asked him like, Hey, like, like, were you really doing all this stuff? He was like, no, I have no idea why my name is even on that movie. So, you know, that's a little bit of a history okay. there in that movie. Yeah. All right. Well, the mo- I mean, the movie came out way after the book did, so uh, I know that 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 you know it was part well, of the book it, as well. A lot I don't know what part of added. the book made the movie or what. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that they added to the movie just to make it more you know entertaining. But sure, listen, I, I never I never understood uh, the um, the reason why the Bears chose Trubisky over Deshaun Watson. I understand Pat Mahomes because at the time Pat Mahomes wasn't really as a little know, bit more of after. a wild card. Yeah, exactly, but. I clearly remember both years back-to-back when Alabama had that all-time great defense both years, and every analyst, every person out there known to the universe kept saying how Alabama had uh, NFL-ready players on defense, and, like, literally their whole defense could be a first-round pick, you know. And every uh, both years back-to-back in the championship game, Deshaun Watson lit them up every single year. 
And when it came down to the draft, everybody just kept throwing out all these negative things about Deshaun Watson. And I just kept telling him, wait a second. Uh, how is the guy that tore up a defense that literally has first-round talent throughout the board not good enough for the NFL? And the guy wasn't a running quarterback. Deshaun Watson was a passing quarterback in college, too. He would just do a threat because, you know, it, it, it is what they call the African-American quarterback, a dual-threat quarterback, which is, which is not right. He's, he's a passing quarterback that has the ability to run, and he shows it in the NFL, too. That guy is amazing. So I never really understood why the Bears, like, I don't know why they're so in Trubisky, and I know Bill Yesa said that uh, when they're being trained to scout, they have to look for traits. But what's, what's better than what um, Deshaun Watson had, which what, uh, uh, what was his name? The, the head coach said that he has pretty much like the Michael Jordan gene. Like, he has what it takes. Like, he he pulls his team together and, like, drives them to win no matter what. Right. Well, I mean, look, and that's Dabo Sweeney. Uh, I, I, look, every college coach is always going to stand up for his guy. Uh, I know that there were some questions about Deshaun Watson when he came in to the league, and um, I think that he's pretty much answered all those. You know, Mitch Trubisky, and, and Lewis, thanks for the call, um, it never really did make sense why he was so highly thought of, uh, you know, and uh, look, the Bears, they they thought for whatever reason he was going to be the guy. It's been pretty much played out now that we've seen that he is not the guy, and he's certainly not Deshaun Watson. There, There is something to be said for scouting traits, right? And that's And that's true, that that's what teams do. But I do think that at some point you do have to kind of factor in what the production is as well. And uh, that's if that if the, if the Bears had done that in terms of Deshaun Watson, I think that it clearly would have worked out better. Now I, I agree with you with what Lewis said about Patrick Mahomes I, when he got drafted tenth overall. I had faith in Andy because if Andy Reid said, "Hey, this is the guy I want," then you know you kind of give him a little bit of leeway there. But I don't think that Patrick Mahomes necessarily would have been Patrick Mahomes had he gone anywhere. When you take a look at what is going on with the Houston Texans and a lot of the decisions made by Bill O'Brien, I think that what you can say about Deshaun Watson is that he probably would be successful, maybe not to the same degree because he has been playing on a, on a pretty good team. But I think that Deshaun Watson would have been successful just about anywhere he had gone based on how he has played so far. I think that that one's a, a much more – when you look back and you say, well, the Bears missed on this – Saying that they missed on on Mahomes, I think, is a bit of more of a stretch than saying that they missed on Watson. I think Watson was the guy they clearly should have gone with that pick, and uh, they didn't. And now moving on, as it seems like they will be moving on, barring some uh, crazy season for Mitch Trubisky this year. I mean, this is going to be pretty much his last chance, and maybe that last chance has already sailed because they've already, uh, you know, acquired Nick Foles. Maybe they're ready to to move on, but we'll see what happens when the season plays out. But it certainly seems like in terms of things going wrong, right, and knowing that you need to move on, at least the Bears are making the hard decision now rather than, as some teams do, kind of delude themselves into thinking, you know what, this guy just needs more time. This guy just needs more opportunities. They're they're clearly ready to move on and, and maybe already have with the, the acquisition of Nick Foles. In case you're just getting up and rolling on this Monday, May 4th, the uh, stories we've been talking about today, well, obviously it's a Monday, and it has very quickly become part of our, I guess, weekend routine. Two more episodes of The Last Dance aired last night, episodes five and six. I saw episode five last night. 
did not see episode six. And because uh, it seems like episode six focuses on the Knicks and Bulls rivalry, there's part of me that just wants to skip that one altogether. If there was ever one I was going to skip, that would probably be it. No, I'll watch it today. But uh, I did watch episode five last night. And uh, as I said in the open, a little bit more of a hodgepodge of topics. It kind of was one that kind of a lot of uh, the ones that you knew were going to be addressed got addressed last night. Michael's business relationship with Nike was part of the focus. The Dream Team from 92 was part of the focus. The topic of Isaiah Thomas not being included in the Dream Team was uh, at least touched on once again, Isaiah talking about it. And look, there's not anybody. You know, it seems like every time that the topic is brought up, and at this point it's, it's kind of been done to death, anytime the topic is brought up, Isaiah is quote, look, my, my accomplishments meant that I should, nobody, look, I have not seen anybody anywhere, given that this is a topic that we've been talking about since basically 1992, that says, well, Isaiah's accomplishments didn't warrant him being on the, no, if it was just strictly based on the best players, Isaiah Thomas clearly would have made the team, but it was about relationships. And you can see and you know that Michael had a far better, even though he was, uh, you know, the stone cold killer who wanted to beat everyone and anyone. He had a far better relationship with the other stars at in the league at the time. And be it Magic Johnson, be it Larry Bird, whoever it was. So they could play alongside each other and not have an issue. So for Isaiah Thomas, who was the captain of the bad boy, you know, there's a, <laughs> you know, there's fallout from that. And for his part, the fallout was he didn't get invited to the dream team. Now, for Michael Jordan to say, and he said it last night, you know, I never said, I never made it out that Isaiah couldn't be, it, it, it was almost like he was trying to, you know, pass the buck. It's because it didn't need to be said. Clearly, it didn't need to be said. Now, I think it probably was said at some point somewhere, but Jordan, someone who didn't want to, you know, necessarily tick people off in, in certain regards, didn't need to keep saying it over and over and over again. And he kind of wanted to pass the buck on it, but it's pretty clear that he didn't. He didn't have to say it over and over and over again. It was known that he did not want to play with Isaiah Thomas, and they touched on how Isaiah kind of had issues. With other play, you know, every, every star player kind of had their issues. Magic had his issues with Isaiah. Larry Bird had his issues with Isaiah. You know, when you're part of the, the, the bad boys and you relish and you are successful being able to beat teams in that way. Yeah. That did leave some hard feelings. And there is some, there's some fallout from that. And for, for Isaiah Thomas, despite his, his accomplishments, despite his career, Part of the fallout from that was that he did not get to play on the Dream Team. So that was a topic last night in the fifth episode of The Last Dance. And uh, as well as Michael's relationship with Kobe, had some very uh, interesting video of of Kobe talking about that relationship, which I got to be honest with with everything that's happened and and the death of Kobe Bryant, it's kind of hard to watch, right? It's kind of hard to watch that and uh, to think back on that time, which – 1998 doesn't really feel like in the All-Star game of 1998. 98, when you say 1998, doesn't feel that long ago to me, but obviously 22 years ago now. And uh, when you actually watch the video of how Michael moved back then and how Kobe, obviously, you know, a young guy just kind of breaking into the league 
it does kind of seem a, a lot longer ago than just the uh, the year 1998 seems in your your mind's eye. If there was one area that I wished that they had stayed with longer last night, it probably would have been the Nike stuff because there was a lot of intrigue and a lot of interesting angles. I guess they could have went with there about you know Converse was the sneaker at the time and Nike was kind of this upstart and how. Michael didn't even want to have the meeting with Nike, but they were the ones that uh, did the, uh, the the best presentation and the best. They had the best offer. But he listened to his he, parents in that one. Remember, Ordin? Yeah, he, he yeah. Didn't his want parents to go, were. Yeah, his, his dad, mom told him, "You're yeah, going to have yeah. this meeting. You're going to go to this meeting." And and uh, it was obviously that kind was of very worked interesting. Out. That was yeah, very for, interesting. For all I, the things that Michael had in his career, interesting. That one also kind of worked out. Kind of worked out okay for Nike. Kind of worked out okay for for Michael. And um, David Falk, who was his agent then and kind of brokered that deal, it was uh, he, he had a very great line in it that he was talking about how Nike, by the third year, I think they wanted to sell like three or four million shoes. And uh, by the, the first year, they had sp- they had sold like 100 million shoes or something along those lines. And, and the combination of Nike's brand and then obviously later on the Dream Team brand – how that kind of opened up the NBA to be this global brand. So that was kind of focusing uh, on a lot of the the other aspects, not just on the court but off the court. So that was that was interesting to watch. And then the last bit of the hour last night kind of focused on Michael's reluctance to use his brand in anything that he did not feel comfortable doing. And obviously part of that was the, the political aspect of it. Uh, and that was where the last hour focused this North Carolina Senate race between Jesse Helms and, uh, this, uh, Harvey Gantt and how Michael did not want to get involved in that uh, political race. Now it was not that much of the hour and it was a topic that you knew was going to be focused on at some point. Michael's, uh, often brought up quote about, uh, that he doesn't get involved in political stuff because Republicans buy sneakers too. Uh, I wish that they would have given you a little bit more maybe background on the Senate race because part of me feels like that maybe, you know, Michael, they've touched on it in every single episode, how Michael not only wanted to win but had this burning fire to win at everything, not just at basketball, not just at business. If it was cards game, if card games, after games, if it was golf, whatever it was, it was a competition to Michael. So I wonder if – Maybe I'll go back and research it today. What were the chances that Harvey Gantt actually had a chance to win that race if Michael Jordan did get involved? And maybe Michael's people, I'm sure he had some advisors at the time, talked to him about it. Maybe part of the reason why he didn't get involved was because Michael didn't want to associate his name with something that had a chance to lose. But uh, I'll go back and look at that today. Uh, the other stories from the weekend, we touched on the quarterback stuff. With uh, Andy Dalton headed to the Cowboys. Interesting move there. I think it would have been more interesting if the Patriots had made a play for Andy Dalton and see how that would have played out. But that's not going to be the case. He's now going to be a part of the Cowboys and serve as their backup whenever Dak Prescott gets his his contract signed. And, and they're ready to, uh, to hook up there, whether it's a long-term deal, whether it's the franchise deal. And then Mitch Trubisky, the mistake that the Bears made not only drafting Mitch Trubisky, but moving up a slot to draft Mitch Trubisky and how that has just not worked out, especially with the other quarterbacks that were involved in the draft. But we, of course, have the rewatchable movie bracket. Please vote on that. I guess that's going to do it for today. We're already out of time. Wow. 
Show just flies by. We'll be back tomorrow. We will have our final matchup by then of the rewatchable movie bracket. Vote on Goodfellas, My Cousin Vinny today. And we'll see you tomorrow starting at 5 o'clock, 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.